Hi there, and welcome to the T21 Mum podcast. And I'm here today with my friend, Ron. Hey, Mary. Hey, Ron. What are we going to do today for an adventure? Well, we are going to talk to our amazing speech therapist, Riley. She joined us through Facebook Messenger a few days ago, and we're going to be talking all about speech. I'm looking forward to that because, you know, I keep stumbling over my words and I'd like to know why. <laughs> well, I'm not sure Riley can help you. She's here to help our kiddos. Well, and the kiddos are more important than me anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's tune in to Riley. All right. Today we're going to talk to Ainsley's speech therapist, Riley, who is from the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, the DSRF. And I'm so excited to have her here today because... We love her, and I know Ainsley loves going to see Riley every week because she's so much fun. So welcome, Riley. Thank you. I love seeing you guys too, and I love seeing Ainsley. Thank you. So why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and you know maybe why you became a speech therapist and a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm a speech therapist, which means that I got my master's in speech and language pathology. I actually went to UBC, University of British Columbia, so I haven't gone straight too far from there. Mm -hmm. um, I decided, I kind of got into the field because when I was in high school, I was lucky enough to spend a, an extra block volunteering in the special education classroom, <laughs> which was great. It was so much fun, and it kind of opened my eyes to the idea that, you know, this is so great, so fun, and I could do this for a job one day. So kind of through those volunteering experiences, I, I got to see some speech, speech pathologists or speech therapists in action. And I saw how they got to, you know, have fun and play all day, but also got to work on some really functional and helpful skills for people. And I thought that would be very satisfying. And so far it has been. So I'm lucky to have found the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation where I get to play and hang out with lots of cool people every day. We're so glad that you're there. And I feel really lucky that we got you as our speech path. So, and I know Great. Ainsley really, really loves going to see you. So, you know, I know as a parent with a child with Down syndrome, like one of the biggest things that I think my, I know that I worried about, but also I think most parents worry about is, is my child going to talk? Like, how, mm -hmm. you know, because communication is, I think your gateway in life where people, you know, are going to, you know, where they can understand you and, you know, appreciate you. And so I got a lot of pushback from some of the early intervention about starting speech. You know, they kept telling me that, you know, gross motor will always overtake uh, speech, like walking. But I knew that walking was a long way off. Like Ainsley didn't walk until she was just after she was four. So I can't imagine mm -hmm. waiting really until then to start speech. But um Really, when should our rocking kiddos start speech therapy? You know, that's such a good question. And we get lots of questions like this from um, new parents all the time. And so I'm glad you're asking. Uh, you know, and it's an interesting um, position because for sure it's true that most for most kids, their gross motor development in terms of the milestone of walking will tend to come a little bit earlier than starting to talk. But that doesn't mean that there's not very important things happening first. So when it comes to developing walking, we know there's all these things that we expect to see happen. We expect kids to crawl, for example, and mm -hmm. start to pull up. So there's all these little things you look for. 
And it's actually actually the same with speech and language development. There's all these skills that need to be in place first as a foundation for developing speech. And, and you know, there's a little clue there in, in our kind of job title, which is speech and language pathologist. So speech is, is we kind of think of it as the our verbal output or what mm-hmm. kind of our mouth does to express what we what we mean. But there's also the language piece, which is all of the the words and the thoughts that are behind that. And so we, you know, there's a lot that we can do to help kids develop their internal language and their understanding before they might be ready to to actually talk. So if you want, I can talk about some of the pre-language skills that that we work on before kids are ready to speak. That would be awesome because I remember like I kept hearing the terms expressive and receptive speech and I go yeah I'm not really even sure what that what is, is that? Right? <laughs> I, mean, I know yeah. now but like they yeah. kept using that terms and and what you're right you like yeah like just even understanding you're going to understand a lot before you're able to even say anything say something for sure yes so when we're thinking about early kind of pre-expressive language or pre-first word receptive language skills. There's a few things we want to make sure kids can do. Speech pathologists are all trained to look at these things in early intervention. So some of them are responding consistently to things in the environment. So, you know, that will start off with, can they actually hear and perceive what's going on around them? So we want to make sure that at early ages, they're able to hear, hear and see well. So we might see if the doorbell rings or the phone rings, like what does your child do? Are they kind of showing that they're anticipating or understanding what's happening around them? We, we also want to check for things like attention span. So kids will tend to grow their attention span when they're getting ready to start using words. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want to look at how they play with toys and how they are able to use familiar objects in everyday routines. And mm-hmm. you know, this is really important is early play skills. You know, kids are playing from very early on and, and using objects in their environment. And it really can give us a clue about how they're kind of watching us and how they're learning from other people and how they're thinking about the world. So if they can start to use some objects, that, like if they pick up a spoon and pretend to stir, that indicates to us that they're probably doing a good job of paying attention to how we use a spoon and are trying to do it for themselves. And then finally, this one kind of feeds directly into that how we measure that receptive language or understanding. It's how kids are able to understand what we say to them and follow directions. So if we say something like, go get your shoes or give it to mommy, are they able to under- hear you, understand that, and then kind of follow through or, or show that they've, they've heard and, and understood what you said? Right. So those are just some of the kind of receptive or understanding prerequisites to spoken language. And so for kids with Down syndrome, is there sort of like a speech, a guideline for speech development? Like, should they be doing certain things at a certain age? I mean, I know mm-hmm. all our kids are different, but, and some are going to be further ahead, some further behind, but is there sort of a guideline? I, I haven't, I'm not really sure if I've ever, I've heard it at a few times at different conferences and things like that, but is there something? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another really good question that, you know, and it kind of is still related. So when we think about guidelines, what I think a lot of people mean is like kind of milestone guidelines. So, you know, I expect that kids will walk by this age and say a word by this age. And it's interesting. I think speech therapists who, especially speech therapists who work with children who have developmental delays or developmental disorders, you know, we don't expect that 
everything is going to come on on time and that's okay but what uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to learn these things eventually but what we're more interested in is where are they in that expected sequence or that kind of step-by-step mm-hmm. -step development and and so a good speech pathologist or a good therapist will you know help parents to find uh, maybe use those tools of milestone guides in, in that way where they find where the child's at and then see what the next little step might be. So if you're thinking about that expressive language or when that first word might happen, some of those other really important prerequisite early intervention expressive skills are might be like, do they imitate you at all? Mm -hmm. So are they imitating actions and are they imitating sounds that you make, even just fun sounds? Or are they vocalizing purposefully? So are they, will they use their voice and use noise to get your attention? Kind of like um, or, babbling? Mm -hmm, exactly, babbling or, you know, even just yelling. Like they know that you're in the next room and they want you to come. So, <laughs> you know, it's not maybe the best one, but if, if a child is not able to purposefully use their voice to get your attention, then they are, might have a harder time purposefully using their voice to say a word. Right. So those are just some of, yeah, just some of <laughs> things. Another really important one that I do want to point out, and I will send you the link to this handout for your notes, is the development of early gestures. Mm -hmm. So um, on one important kind of general guideline um, for a, a typically developing child is that you want to see about 16 gestures by the age of 16 months. So what that tells us is that it's really important that even from an early age that children are able to use their bodies to communicate. So can they right. point to things and wave and, and uh, you know, put their arms up to ask to be picked up? And all of those things are other important indicators of, of developing expressive language. Okay. Yeah, well, that's good to know. And... <laughs> You know, and I know Ainsley's had some challenges because she, you know, with her hearing and so on. But what are some of the reasons that some of our kids with Down syndrome take longer to, to speak? So there are so many different possible <laughs> reasons. It's a, and it's also going to be really unique for every person. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned hearing. So as is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of expected if somebody has a hard time hearing mm -hmm. then they're not going to be getting that language input or they're not going to be getting the the language kind of into their brain so that they can learn to use it for themselves so we know for a variety of reasons that you talked about on other podcasts that when you have smaller ears and dif different the different kind of development that we expect in the uh, the ear canals of children who have down syndrome mm -hmm. then you're going to be more likely to have fluctuating hearing loss, which means the hearing comes and goes, okay. or even permanent hearing loss. So mm -hmm. the hearing is always a little bit less. So hearing loss for sure is something that we want to rule out or uh, just be on top of treating. So Ainsley does a great job of wearing her hearing aid. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. <laughs> and, you know, most of the time, yeah. yeah. And as difficult as it is, I think you are somebody, a parent who's done a really good job of working with her and, and asking your audiologist for tips about how to keep these hearing aids in, even mm -hmm. if she doesn't really didn't really like them much at first, but, you know, we just see it really paying off for her in terms of her, her language development now, now that she can hear well. Yeah, because um, we yeah. did, because she got tubes when I think she was about, how old was she? Just after she was two, maybe two and a half. And, mm -hmm. and I know it's pretty common in our kiddos that they need tubes. And, you know, within two weeks, she was signing and saying ball, like, you know, mm -hmm. was, and then... And over time, her speech has gotten a lot clearer. And then mm -hmm. our audiologist at the time was actually 
really against getting hearing aids because I know for me as a child, I had a lot of problems uh, with hearing and ear infections and so on. And Ainsley was constantly getting ear infections and she was against it for that reason. I'm thinking, well, then she just doesn't wear the hearing aid when she has a ear infection. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. it turned out finally when we were able to get her tested because they could never really do a test at the audiologist office. Like she had to do the sedated ABR and Mm -hmm. turns out that she does have some permanent loss in her inner right ear, I think it is. Okay. And some not permanent loss, but some other hearing loss in her left ear. And I do think the hearing aids have made a huge difference. I mean, she's only had them for just over a year. And Mm -hmm. I think it's made a really big difference because, well, one, she can hear better. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's good that you bring that up for people um, that, you know, it's not just hearing aids that can help with hearing, but also things like tubes, because there's like the ear is a very complex, (laughs) a complex organ. (laughs) I know. So finding out exactly you know and and taking the the time over over time to find out what's going on so it can be treated properly you know just so people know the reason that children would get tubes is because there's fluid buildup behind mm-hmm. the the eardrum so they need to drain unless that's drained out they can't you can't get the sound to go in all the way right <laughs> yes and then what hearing aids do is they more like amplify or make the sounds in the environment louder Mm-hmm. Now, the more complicated than that, they they work, um, you know, really in a precise way. That's just for each person. But yeah, they sometimes you need both. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, she may not have them forever, but you know, it's yeah. it's actually worked yeah. out okay when we yeah. don't lose them. <laughs> it's yeah, happened totally. a few times, a little scary, but um... totally yes. <laughs> and you know, some children that we see actually qualify for services. You know, here in Canada, we have services like deaf and hard of hearing teacher. So mm-hmm. somebody who can make suggestions for people who have hearing loss that can help them to maximize the hearing they have or um, communicate and, and listen in the best way. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, you might check in and see what's available in your area if that's a concern for your child. Yeah. And I know, and we'll, we can talk about it a little in a little bit, but like the sign language, because even the kids at school have mm-hmm. learned some signs, which I thought was really cool when I've gone in that they they've learned and they've been pretty keen about it. So, and I think that's helped because I know for Ainsley totally responds to sign language, which, oh, yeah. is, which has been awesome. And totally like, what are some of the issues that you think that kids with Down syndrome can have? Like, you know, for example, oh, some of the other with, with, with speaking I swear, yeah. we only answered one part okay that's yeah, okay like some more things. <laughs> so there's a few things that they that they are researching there's different theories and also again different for different individuals it's each piece is going to have a different effect but one thing that tends to come up is the um the idea that people with down syndrome tend to have shorter auditory memories mm-hmm. so it's harder for me to listen, understand, process, and then remember what it is that you said to me. So when I hear something and it on, I only hear it, I don't see it, it's like a word that, that you said, then it's it doesn't take as long. The word that I hear kind of disappears more quickly mm-hmm. and it might not be learned as quickly. So I need to hear it more times. And that's one reason why we um, often recommend including those visual supports like sign language, because it can make those auditory that auditory information last longer and easier to learn right and are there certain like I've heard of apraxia and I know Mm -hmm. a few few kids that uh, have probably been diagnosed with apraxia but you know what are some of the can I just ask a quick question sure what is apraxia 
Well, Riley's the expert, so she could probably. <laughs> my, again, my ignorance is showing, but what is apraxia? Yeah, so that's a great a great question. So apraxia um, is actually kind of, there's a general word for apraxia. Um, and what it means in general is a prob there's a problem with how your brain kind of creates and then sends messages to your body to move and also to sequence movements. So you can actually have an apraxia in your limbs, which would make it hard to do some more complex movements like like sign language, for example, or even like using a key to open a door. So getting each your body in the sequence of movements in line to perform a task will be hard. So is it, um, a, is it a neurological thing or is it neurological? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, okay. you got it. Yeah. It's neurological, but you end up seeing the effects um, in the physical outcome, the physical output. Okay. Um, and yeah, but what Mary's talking about is a specific type of apraxia that affects the muscles of speech, and that's called apraxia of speech, or sometimes mm -hmm. childhood apraxia of speech. And okay. um, what that is, yeah, sorry. No, that's, that's yeah, no, that, that was it. That was you've answered my question. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. So yeah, it's a great question. It's a word that comes up, but it's it's it is hard to understand. I don't even know if you know. I'm definitely not an apraxia expert, so <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody out there who could explain it even better, even better than me. And in fact, I'll make sure to send you some links to some really good apraxia-specific resources out there. But the thing to keep in mind with apraxia is that you know it is. Kids with apraxia or people who have apraxia, it doesn't mean that they don't have anything, any good ideas or anything important to say. It doesn't mean that they don't understand. It just means that producing the speech is more difficult. The other important thing to keep in mind with apraxia, well, I'll describe it a little bit more apraxia of speech because this will make more sense then. So if we're thinking about the fact that the brain is trying to, you know, make, put the movements in order that you need to say different sounds, one thing that a few things that will be more difficult are saying longer words and longer mm -hmm. sentences. So I might be able to say what as in water or say water really well. But if I put it in a big word like watermelon, then that sound might get distorted or have a, an error in it. Um, and then the other thing that tends to be more difficult because it has to do with planning, the brain is planning what to do, is when we tell somebody to say something or ask them to say something, like say watermelon, <laughs> then that's going to put too much pressure on the system and that will make it even more difficult for them potentially to say that word. So putting demands like requiring a child to say something can can tax the system whereas if they say something more naturally then it can be easier for them to produce that word and so are, automatic speech is easier <laughs> of course and yeah. are there sort of because i do hear about it like i had never heard about it before i had ainsley but are there some sort of signs that parents can look out for if they suspect mm -hmm. that maybe their child could have a proxy of speech Yes. So apraxia is considered one of the more, apraxia of speech is often more severe presentation of, of uh, speech disorder. So if your child is having an especially hard time starting talking, so maybe part of their motor planning problem is that even initiating or starting to speak is difficult. So, or maybe they, they only say, they might say a word once in a while, but they have a really hard time, again, saying it on demand. Like, oh, I heard you say mom yesterday. Like, why can't you say it now? Oh, okay. Um, some other signs are 
the ones we talked about where sounds in longer words or in a sentence get a bit garbled, but in shorter words or on their own, they sound okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And what are some other things? I would say that those are some things to look out for. But what's interesting, and I will also send you this study that, you know, people have often wondered, you know, why is it so difficult for children who have Down syndrome to to speak clearly and to to learn to speak? And people are are really working on it out there. (laughs) Uh, But somebody did a great study where they were investigating, they were looking at some of the speech characteristics of children with Down syndrome. And they Mm -hmm. were looking at, you know, is it because of the low muscle tone? Is it that you know, is it that that kind of mouth and, and general oral motor difference that seems to affect it? Or is it something like apraxia that we consider to have that more neurological motor planning basis? And interestingly, they found that most children with Down syndrome that they that they investigated had signs of both. So oh, they probably Yeah, so there are there there are likely to be several reasons for mm-hmm. each person why why speeches can be difficult um, one of which will be the fact that they have that general low muscle tone and and maybe some differences in how their mouth is shaped and that can distort sounds and then prob there will likely also be some motor planning differences as well so it's you know it's for most the answer for most things is never just one thing <laughs> <laughs> no we don't want to make it too easy for anybody but yeah so from that study, like, do is mm-hmm. there, is it out there, like, what approximately percentage of kids with Down syndrome might have apraxia? Or is, has, has there been any studies like that or research? You know, I tried to look that up real quick and I actually, <laughs> I couldn't find a good number. Okay. Um, so this particular study that I was looking at that I really enjoyed reading did say that most of the children, so the majority, that showed signs of both. Now, of course, there is everybody, you know, is, is a unique individual, mm-hmm. and there was such a range, um, even within the kids that they looked at um, in the study. So there's going to be a range of issues for every person, and how much something like apraxia will be a part of a person's life or not. So. Right. I'm sorry. I don't have a good number. No, no. I was just. (laughs) Oh no, that's okay. I was just curious, just because, like, I hear about it more Mm -hmm. in our community than, than I, because, like I said, I had never heard of it before. I didn't even know what it was. But Mm -hmm. yes, in the typically developing population, it is quite rare. It's more rare. Oh, Uh, but in children who have other neurological differences, such as Down syndrome, then it's more common. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Mm And mm-hmm. I know we were talking a little bit about um, signing and stuff earlier. And because mm-hmm. like recently I was on one of the many Down syndrome forums that I'm on and a parent actually said they didn't want to use sign language with her child with Down syndrome because she was concerned that this would delay speech. And I know that pretty much everyone said, no, no, you got to you got to, you know, go and use the sign language now. And I mean, Ainsley loves signing times, but mm-hmm you know, is that, is that a myth? Can teaching sign language delay speech? Yeah, luckily the research community and the community of speech therapists who are practicing now do generally consider that that's a myth. I'm not sure exactly where that one came from. I know there are different philosophies in, in the, the deaf population or, or people who, you know, support people who are learning to speak or are deaf where, you know, you wonder whether or not to use sign or focus on verbal speech. But it's the good news is that there are, you know, quite a few different studies out there. Some are smaller scale, more like case studies, and some are some larger scale studies. And they they look at incorporating sign and whether or not that helps 
children develop their speech and develop mm -hmm. their language and they have very positive results which is very very happy um <laughs> for us because again not you know there's what the research says and then there's what we find in practice and i can definitely say that in practice i find that incorporating sign language in early intervention can really help a lot of the children that i see which i love because sign is fun <laughs> yeah because i mean it's like they might not be able to talk but they can still mm -hmm. communicate through sign mm -hmm. and i know yeah. ainsley does still often use sign and speech at the same time and I know eventually yes. that will drop off she doesn't do it for everything but some yeah. some words she definitely does but and yeah. also I'm also amazed at all the signs that she knows like just learning them totally. so quickly and it's awesome because I sometimes if we're out I don't even have to say anything to her I can just sign and she knows what I'm yes. talking about right and I mean for somebody who has hearing loss if you're in a busy crazy environment and you know, you don't have to compete with the background noise. Like mm -hmm. what a, what a bonus. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, I think there's a, a great theory out there that has kind of always stuck with me where, you know, and I don't know how much this has been proven, but the theory is that because there's that motor aspect with your hands, you're doing that mm -hmm. extra motor action that it can help children to kind of recall and initiate the word that they want to say. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So that's kind of an interesting way to think about it and kind of aligns with what we would tend to see, and then what you mentioned about, you know, sometimes dropping off is what has been found as well, where once a child is able to say a word consistently and other people can understand them, then they learn that, oh, I don't need to use the sign anymore. And the sign tends to, to drop off. Mm -hmm. Whereas when a child is kind of in the earlier stages of developing their speech and, you know, say they have just a few sounds or can only say shorter words, if they say a word like ba, unless they add a sign, we don't know if they mean ball or bath or butterfly so the sign can kind of augment or add to what they're saying so that what they're attempting to say with their speech can be more successfully communicated mm -hmm. i know and like mm -hmm. i said signing times i, I think i know yeah, i've learned a so lot of, <laughs> i've learned yeah. so much sign language from there but it's great because generally yeah. well ainsley anyways loves music and it's all to songs and you know rachel coleman does a fabulous job of I don't know how she thinks up all these songs for all the signs, but they're awesome. And yeah, we, Oh, she does such a good job. Yeah. yeah. We watch it every day. So, mm -hmm. and yeah. And they actually have like little books and, and fun things like that that go along with, with the DVDs and the, the songs. So, you know, you can kind of make it a everyday experience. Yeah. I've seen those. I haven't gotten any of the books. We just kind of, we subscribed so we can watch it. Yeah, but totally. yeah, I, I have seen it. It's great. She's got like for everyone out there, just go on and get signing time. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. The one um, little thing about sign language that I'll, I'll mention, because we did talk a little bit about apraxia and, mm -hmm. and kind of limb apraxia just a few minutes ago, that for some children, they might actually be experiencing having a kind of general apraxia in their body, like that mm -hmm. kind of limb apraxia. And of course, sign language is a complex movement with your body. So there are a smaller percentage of kids, but some kids out there will have a hard time just as hard a time signing as they will with speaking or almost as hard. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So you want to watch out for, you know, where your child's at in their sequence of imitation development. So how are they imitating other things with their body? You know, what purposeful movements are they able to do with their body? What can they do on command? And then see if, you know, how they're responding when you show them some signs and if they're trying to imitate those as well. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like I had had never mm -hmm. heard of that but I just and as we were talking earlier before the podcast about 
Libby Cumin, and I'm sure many of us in the Down syndrome community have one or more of her books. Uh, she's mm-hmm. the author of the Early Communication Skills for Children with Down Syndrome, and and I was listening to something of hers recently, and she said that typical kids who learn sign language had actually a 30% larger vocabulary. So I think like right there that says, you know, sign language can only be beneficial. It was not going to take away from, from speech. And, and like you were saying, it's like a way to communicate, you know, they might, Mm -hmm. the speech might be coming later, but in Mm -hmm. Ainsley's case, for example, like it was delayed, like it is in, in a lot of kids with Down syndrome, but she could sign, you know, she could sign things early on where she could say what she wanted and, Mm-hmm. you know and so yeah. which was great and you know one of the other things like Ainsley absolutely loves books and oh yeah and you know so you know what's like what's the importance of reading to our kids like I mean I started when Ainsley was three weeks old and I hope that's what's made her love books but you know <laughs> can you maybe talk a little bit about like the importance of reading to our kids totally yeah and you know there's the importance of reading from like, you you know, your perspective, which is, I just love reading with my child and Mm -hmm. you want to share what you do with them, but I'll tell you the nerdy SLP speech pathologist (laughs) side of reading. Okay. (laughs) So um, we know that that social time with adults or with people is really the kind of foundation is where children learn languages, where, where they learn communication skills. So unless your child's interacting with you or with other people who can, you know, show them the ropes of language every day, then, then, uh, you know, they're going to have a harder time learning it. So book reading provides that, uh, you know, just the perfect context for practicing language together, practicing communication together, and practicing those kind of social, social turn taking, those social Mm -hmm. skills that, that go with language. Um, So it's a, you know, it's one of those perfect activities. It's both fun, and it's really engaging and children can engage in, in a joint attention with you too. So you guys are both paying attention to each other and to the book. So that's a great kind of pre-linguistic early language skill that you can practice with book reading. And let's see, some other things are that, you know, if you make book reading a part of your daily routine, Mm -hmm. then you're kind of building up your child's, you know, all the things that can happen during their day that they can start to anticipate. So it's something that you can talk about and look forward to together, even when, you know, you're not actually reading the book. So they're learning about routines. There are also lots of different language, linguistic, and cognitive benefits for reading with your child. So Mm -hmm. they're listening to you tell a story, and so they're getting all that vocabulary and the sentence structures and all of those kind of narrative or storytelling devices that are involved in a story. So that all feeds directly into their understanding of language and their ability to use language later themselves. And I think the best thing is just for somebody who is a good you know, a stronger visual learner, there's something and you guys are both looking at it and mm-hmm. you're both thinking about it and talking about it. So it's something that stays, stays constant. And, and, you know, you guys, you can make sure you are talking about what they're interested in, because you can mm-hmm. really see what it is that they're looking at. Because I was told it's like, because I used to sit Ainsley on my lap, which I think is what mm-hmm. a lot of parents do. And they read because it's kind of that bonding time but I was actually told it was actually it was another speech path that told me to actually sit across from Ainsley when I read her a book and I was wondering why that was 
That's a great question. So of course, it's it is really cuddly and nice to you know have your child in your lap or lie next to them in bed. And there's certainly not, nothing wrong with that, especially if you know your goal is just more about having a nice bonding time together. But if your focus is more about you know developing their joint attention skills mm-hmm. and improving their language, if you're looking a- across from them, so the book's in the middle, then you can really watch what they're looking at, what their eyes are looking at and what they're pointing oh, at. Okay. And then you can be sure that you're talking about what they're looking at. And for young kids who are maybe not talking all that much yet, then their eyes give a big hint about what they're thinking about. And that's what we want to be teaching at that stage. We want to be talking about and teaching them about what they're thinking about because that shows us what they're interested in and ready to learn. The other great benefits are that she can see you. So, you know, if if you have a big reaction, she'll start to learn, you know, what parts are funny and what parts are exciting. And if you say a word, uh, she can really watch your mouth and how you pronounce it. So she might be more likely to, you know, this might help her to start to imitate some of those words Mm -hmm. that you say, too, because she has that that great visual reference of your mouth. And when you're reading, like, should you point to the words like under like, you know, as you go along? Would that help with reading? Yeah, so there's, you know, we use books in tons of different ways. Uh, There is, of course, the very important literacy development piece, which is, you know, helping kids learn about, you know, what different words that they that are written down mean what those letters sound like. Mm -hmm. And for sure, if you're at that level, and, and that's what you're working on, our reading teachers all get kids and, you know, do pointing to each word as you read it just to bring the attention to what word you're reading. But, you know, you can also, and I think a lot of early intervention speech pathologists talk about kind of forget the words sometimes and look at the pictures. Right. Because before kids are ready to read, you know, which is a lot of kids under the age of, you know, three or four or five, <laughs> then you can still have a lot of fun talking about the pictures and what's happening and and what you see so you can kind of have a conversation around the picture rather than just looking at the at the words and so what i would recommend is you know see what they're looking at or see if they're pointing to something and point to the same thing and then say the word or describe what's happening oh okay okay that's yeah mm-hmm. interesting yeah I, that totally makes sense i hadn't really thought of it in that way like i know yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reading's more complicated than you would think. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'm surprised with, you know, with Ainsley, like I know, like our kids are highly visual and, you know, for Ainsley, I, you gave us that great app. I think it was called special words mm-hmm. and she's, you know, with the matching and she's really loved that. And yes. she's done really well with pecs. And, you know, I can't even remember what pecs stands for because I remember one parent was asking me what are those I go well you know it's the little picture on the velcro and you you put it on the board (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah totally like so at what because obviously this is before speech you know before kids can actually verbalize at what point should pecs really be introduced do you think for our kids yeah that's a good question and it's potentially another long answer but (laughs) so pecs p-e-c-s stands for picture exchange communication system okay does that sound familiar yeah but you know what i wouldn't have been able to remember that (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah and so that was a system that was developed to help to help children initially learn to communicate intentionally okay so of course all 
children communicate with us, you know, from the start, but a lot of them do it unintentionally when mm -hmm. they're starting out. So they might just cry when they want something or reach for something. And they're not necessarily doing it on purpose to tell you that they want something. Mm -hmm. So what the, uh, what PEX does, and if you use this approach, it's more of an approach, I would say, or mm -hmm. a method for teaching, then you start off by helping children learn that if they give an adult or give you a picture, let's say it's a picture of a cookie, mm -hmm. that something good will happen and they're going to get that cookie. Right. So, <laughs> so we start off by finding a few things that kids like and then provide picture symbols for them. Usually they involve Velcro, lots of Velcro <laughs> and speech therapy. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, systematically we go up to different levels where eventually we're hoping that they will, you know, be able to not only ask for things, give you pictures by themselves, but maybe even put those pictures into longer sentences. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the entire, and also send you the link to find out more about the picture exchange <laughs> communications. So it's wonderful. <laughs> so we'll have lots of links on the, on the website for this episode. For sure. No, that's awesome. Yes. But the other way there, you know, but there are other ways and other methods that people use for incorporating picture symbols mm -hmm. that aren't just the picture exchange communication method. So we can do other things with picture symbols or visual visual supports, you know, including photographs mm -hmm. or things like that to, to help people communicate. So what I would say is, let's see, your original question was about, well, about when we should be incorporating pecs. Mm -hmm. Was that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I would say that, you know, it's kind of one of those ideas. If you're thinking about pecs, it's like, does my child have intentional communication? And if they don't, then maybe that would be a great place to start. Okay. But if it's more about when should I start including picture symbol or visual supports for communication, mm -hmm. then that's a little bit of a different answer. And what I would say is that there's kind of no there's no prerequisite for right. introducing, you know, visual support. So even with your younger babies, you can, if you want to let them know or help them start to anticipate and, and recognize a symbol, you might show them a picture for the bath and then, you know, tip into the bath. And okay. what that's doing is just reinforcing what you've said. So the verbal message that they've heard and then helping them start to understand and anticipate what's going to happen next. So okay. just building up their repertoire of things that they understand, words that they understand and symbols that they understand. And then later when they're ready, they might start to be able to use those same picture symbols in a way that is more expressive. So they might mm -hmm. be able to give you or, or point to or, um, or look at the picture of the bath to let you know that actually they want a bath and right. <laughs> you know, something like that. Yes, we have tons of pecs all over the house. Totally, yeah, you guys do have a lot. <laughs> I go, oh yeah, I've, I've got, oh, I got doubles of those, triples, which is mm -hmm, awesome, yeah. yeah. So there's, I think a lot of the ones that you guys have is not just for having Ainsley ask for things or request things, but you also have picture symbols that you use in a little schedule. So you put them mm -hmm. in, a, in a row, all the things that are going to happen in her day. So she knows what's going to happen first and what's going to happen next, or mm -hmm. I need to do this first if I want to get that thing. <laughs> yes. And like her yeah. aide actually has come up with a schedule on the iPad, which is essentially packs you know, but it's mm -hmm. on the iPad, so not involving Velcro, but so, yeah. <laughs> which has worked really well. And, yeah. you know, we'll give you a little shout out about the, um, the token reward packs that we used because I haven't talked about it, but Ainsley was, she was going through a bad stage of pulling kids hair. And I think it was you who suggested 
to use the gentle hands token reward mm-hmm. so she could get a spin in a chair if she got I think five hands or whatever it was and I yeah. I was actually skeptical that that would work <laughs> I mean I know she understands the pack system like what the word like what the picture means if you tell her but I didn't know I I wasn't sure that she would understand that if you get five hands that you get to pick your reward like the spin or the little boat that they have there that she can sit in and holy smokes it worked like I it was (laughs) awesome and you know because we were all at a loss of what to do and it was becoming almost problematic and I was really concerned because you know we were having such a great year Mm -hmm. in grade one and then here she is like pulling every girl's ponytail out I don't know why but um (laughs) and in one girl in particular but you know they were actually very good the kids and it's worked really well I was just talking to her aide about it today and I said I'm so glad that that's worked so well Mm -hmm. and uh and and she understands it so all the power to you for coming up with that yeah well (laughs) I can give you I can give the listeners like two general tips about that and Mm -hmm. one is actually if you're so if you're using pictures symbols in that way Mm -hmm. rather than in that that kind of specified exchange way you can actually call them like pics as in picture symbols Mm -hmm. rather than pecs okay it's like that that kind of like whole teaching approach right you can you can say pics like p-i-c-s or picture symbols or picture supported communication and then the other one is you know something we often a tip we often give to schools and parents which is if you are trying to teach your child something and it's seems challenging like Mm -hmm. don't pull other kids hair or you're having a behavior problem if you can find a way to incorporate make it visual incorporate Mm -hmm. that visual support they and you are going to have a much easier time with that learning process so I'm so glad that worked for her (laughs) and it was quick too like I think it was literally within a couple of days like I was amazed at how well it went and and I know because we went away to the National Down Syndrome Conference and I took the that sheet with me and her aide sent me a message don't lose that that is golden <laughs> you know because they do oh, use we it can always make more yes yeah. I know <laughs> but she didn't want to yeah, be without great. one yeah so I'm it's, so it's I me too I'm so glad that that worked out yeah. but you know and Ainsley's you know her speech is coming and I know yes. it takes a lot of our kids longer to talk but is there like an age where parents should be concerned if they're like their kids might be signing and I do see that a lot on the different forums I'm on where their Mm -hmm. kids might know a lot of signs like hundreds of signs but they might only have one or two words and so is there a a certain age maybe that parents should be concerned yeah well um I think that's going to be kind of a different answer for lots of different families for sure how I yeah but how I like to think about it is rather than like, you know, give a specific age cutoff or an age deadline, more think about the child's overall communication and behavior. So are they frustrated? So if your child is able to to sign something to get what they want, then then they might not get as frustrated as somebody who doesn't have any way to express themselves or they're able to point to a picture instead. So, um, you know, maybe you can find something like that. Or if they're using other problem behaviors because they don't have another way to express themselves. So, you know, I don't think this is why Ainsley was pulling other kids' hair, but if somebody is pulling your hair just because they want to get your attention every time, mm-hmm. then we need to give them a better way to get our attention right. fast or those behaviors will certainly continue. Because unfortunately for us, but fortunately for 
children, those problem behaviors tend to work. <laughs> yeah, especially when it comes to getting attention. Mm-hmm. And then the other time that you definitely want to you know, start to be concerned is if you think that your child is missing out on opportunities to participate and to be included because they don't have reliable way to understand what people are telling them or to to express their own ideas. So if they're missing out on participation opportunities, like if they you know, can't join in show and tell time or join in a conversation, then we wanna make sure that we are talking to an SLP uh, speech language pathologist to try to find out, you know, how can I help my child to participate and be included as fully as possible. So as long as they're still communicating, like the speech, yeah. unless there's some other issue, I guess, that hasn't maybe been rolled out yet, then they're like, it will come. Yes. Yeah. And not everybody, most people with Down syndrome do um, end up being verbal communicators, Mm -hmm. but lots of people also become adults who use AAC or use um, other ways, sorry, we'll talk about that in a minute, but use other ways to support their, their ability to express themselves. So, or, so sometimes, so for the most part, words and speech will come, but sometimes it doesn't, or the speech doesn't come out as clearly as the person needs to be an effective communicator. So mm-hmm. in those cases, we need to make sure we're giving people other ways to communicate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to backtrack just a tiny bit because I know we yes. talked about it, about like Ainsley, you know, she was reader of the day. And I mean, we do her flashcards every night and she loves them and I know she can read them. But then of course she goes and reads the book and it was kind of disheartening because I knew she could read the words and uh but she didn't really do it and you know there was another little girl helping her and but I I like the tip that you said is you know sometimes just put like a a little paste-it note where the words would be because maybe the font was too too hard for her to read or you know and also I guess there's also the other distractions in the class because mm-hmm. I was so excited that she's finally going to be reader of the day because even the kids had asked like well why is Ainsley never a reader of the day and then her aide goes yeah why not and I know they worked on this book it was just a very simple mm-hmm. book I mean I wish we could have probably just made a book up actually which probably would have worked better but you know that was a good little tip it's just to put like a little sticky note over what the, where the words are and write the words bigger if it's just a, sort of like um a, a short a little short sentence on the page so that she could yeah. could read it yeah because I think what was happening was she was you know really really good with her flashcards which are just like very kind of specific and the word mm-hmm. it was really written nice and big and you know really clear because it's only one word on a little page no other distractions and then you put those words all together in a sentence and in a book and all of a sudden there's all these competing these competing things going on that mm-hmm. can make it harder yeah mm-hmm. but hopefully next year I'm hoping next year we'll get a, a good video of her <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. And, (laughs) you know, and and then this year we started using like her iPad to assist Mm -hmm. with speech. And then I remember like the resource teacher calling saying, is the iPad to replace speech? And I'm going, no, no, it's like to, to aid. And so what are your thoughts on using like an augmented speech device? And, and, you know, for example, the, the app we're using touch chat to replace mm-hmm. speech, but I think it's really just to aid in her speech. Yeah, so that's another big 
topic <laughs> and I will make sure to provide you with some more resources because I think, you know, if people are looking at augmentative and alternative communication, which is the long word for AAC, we'll just say AAC now. Mm-hmm. But if people are looking into that, you definitely deserve to have somebody explain it to you with a lot more detail and, and to do your own reading, find your own reliable resources that, you know, we can help um, help you to find mm-hmm. because there's a lot to think about for sure. But, you know, similar to, to sign language, there are some really great potential benefits for incorporating an AAC system that's visual, like touch chat on the iPad. You know, that's just one example. There are mm-hmm. lots out there of the benefits, you know, could include what you said. So it, it can aid and improve communication Mm -hmm. because there is that visual component again. So Mm -hmm. I might temporarily forget that word I'm looking for. So I might forget the word for cookie, even though I know that that's what I want. (laughs) But then I see that that picture symbol there and I remember, ah, that's it. That's where it is. That's what I want. So there's that kind of visual cue component. Mm -hmm. Another aspect that's great about it that makes it really a multimodal learning tool is that it's also tactile. So you use your body, use your, your hand in another way to to access those words ah okay yeah i hadn't thought of it that way but yeah because ainsley loves to be tapping all over the ipad (laughs) yes yes and it actually um some good aac systems will kind of think about that and remember that that children do learn through they do have that kind of motor planning system Mm -hmm. in their whole body so why don't we take advantage of that and and they'll often have words in the same space on each page so for example, you know how the uh, the word for I, the picture for I is always in the top left corner. Mm-hmm. So if we make that fairly consistent on every page, then they can use the motor planning skills to to learn that more quickly rather than having the words like jump around jump every around. time you change on a page. Yeah. Right. Um, so we can incorporate motor planning and visual processing and kind of that tactile and kinesthetic sense in the body and kind of bring that all together to support language learning. Uh, because really, an AAC system, an AAC system is just another way to show and to use language or, or to combine symbols in a way that that expresses a meaning. So, so that's great for children who have those kind of motor planning problems around speech or just that the difficulty with initiating speech. And it also, they're great because they can act to reduce the pressure to speak. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is feeling a lot of pressure to say a word verbally, Mm -hmm. that might actually be making it even harder for them. So if we give them an alternative way to say something that's um, easier for them, then then they're more likely to be able to to be successful in that moment. And, And that's great for learning for sure. Yeah, I know there's another little boy at Ainsley's school who has Down syndrome. He's a couple years older and I've never actually heard him speak but he does use his he carries his ipad everywhere and he does use nice his touch chat from what i've been told like quite regularly and quite well to communicate which is which is awesome it's great you know and i know we touched on it earlier but one of the biggest challenges i guess of of people with down syndrome with their speech is intelligent intelligibility if I can even say that Mm -hmm. word (laughs) I know it's a hard one why did they make it so long (laughs) and you know are there any kind of do you have any SLP tips and tricks or suggestions or yeah the top 10 (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's so yeah there's so many but I guess the kind of takeaways that we try to share that you know speech development takes time and in fact when we start to recognize speech as being 
you know, ultimately a fine motor act of the mouth, then we really can see how it will take lots of time and practice for somebody to develop that. So what it requires most, unfortunately, or fortunately, is patience <laughs> from <laughs> us. And, you know, it helps to remember that it's as hard as it is for us as adults, it is for sure can be more frustrating for the child for children and for people and 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 so you know having that kind of understanding and you know give us the empathy to really work with them to to help them to express what they need i would say that speech therapy is is wonderful we know that it's effective so if you can be involved regularly with a speech therapist in your area that that would be advantageous for sure and they can help by working on some things that like improving specific sounds you're working on Mm -hmm. or some things that look at the overall intelligibility but those things do need to be practiced every day in order for kids to learn them and, mm. and generalize those skills. So, you know, while you're working together, definitely ask them about how you can incorporate the practice into your daily routine, which will help your kids for sure. And then some of the things we we most often teach people when speech intelligibility is an issue are are actually a compensatory, the compensatory strategy of like slowing down. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. slowing down helps a lot mm-hmm. and it helps a lot of people. So we'll, we'll use different visual and, and kinesthetic methods like using finger pacing or pacing boards. Uh, it's also really important oh, okay. as an, yeah. So that's when you kind of tap out each word or each mm-hmm. syllable, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. The other thing that's hard and is hard for me in particular is modeling slow speech. So, <laughs> yes, you do speak I'm working fast. On this. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. But you know, if this is something that you want, if you want your child to learn something, you need to be the best role model you mm-hmm. can be. So, if you can help them see how it is you want them to talk and model slow speech yourself, that can go a long way. And then, if they are getting frustrated, and if they are you know, losing out on opportunities to participate, definitely consider supporting their communication and supporting their participation by incorporating visual communication mm-hmm. and AAC, because ultimately the, the goal is participation and quality of life and, mm-hmm. you know, hanging out with your friends yeah. <laughs> and, you know, being included. So that's what we want to keep our focus on. Awesome. That's so awesome. And I really <laughs> appreciate your time, Riley. And so if people have any questions or is it okay for them to contact you? Yes, of course. So I work at, at, like you said, at the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation and we are a resource for the Down Syndrome community and for parents and family members and teachers and other speech pathologists out there. So everybody is welcome to get in touch with us. We're here for the community. I'll give you a few ways you can get in touch with us. One is to go on our, visit our website. So we are at www.dr. Yeah, .dsrf.org. That's D Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, dsrf.org. You can also email me directly at Riley, R-I-L-E-Y, at dsrf.org, or you can email our main computer at info at dsrf.org, and somebody will get back to you and hopefully help point you towards some helpful resources or send send you some tips. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. And I'm so grateful that you're our speech path and I hope you stay there for a long time. Thank <laughs> it's you. It's only six. I hope to be here forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going anywhere. But thank awesome. you so much for bringing her and thank you for taking the time and all the energy to put on this podcast because I think it's such a great resource for the community. And, and yeah, I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. We were so glad that you could come on and that you took the time to speak with us today.
All right. Especially in the middle of the day. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. It's much better than writing reports. <laughs> well, yes, because it's the end of the block. That's right. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks again, Riley. Thanks so much, no, thank Riley. You. We'll Have see you Monday. Day. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. I am so grateful for all the therapists that I have in Ainsley's life, like Riley, our speech therapist, and also Hannah, our OT, also known as Occupational Therapy, who we'll be talking to on the next episode of the T21 Mom podcast. Okay, looking forward to that. Want to want to hear more about what an occupational therapist does. She does many things, and it actually surprised me some of the things that she does. So Okay, so let's uh, wrap this one up. Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast, and we would love to hear from you. How are you navigating this journey of special needs and Down syndrome? Drop us a line at our email at info at t21mom.com, and t21mom is all one word. And also don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment on our podcast. Keep on loving on those rocking kiddos, and we'll see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.